Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Now, Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon, first human on the moon. And when he got there, what did he say? What, what did he say? You must know. That's right. That's one small step for man, a uh, giant leap for mankind. Absolutely. That is uh, probably one of the most famous quotes in human history, the first kind of quote from, from the moon is uh, first quote from another piece of land that wasn't planet Earth. Uh, big quote indeed, very important. Uh, and all journeys begin with that first step. So in his case, stepping off a ladder, on, in humanity's case, stepping off that ladder onto the moon. And all journeys begin with that, don't they? Your first step. And the first step is very important. And when we make that first step, we may not actually fully understand the journey that we are about to go on. We may not understand the difficulties that we will face. We may not understand the questions that will come up in the future on this journey. We may only have a vague idea of the direction or where, in fact, we are going, but we take the first step. And today we're going to look at the first steps of Peter, Andrew, James and John. And their first steps uh, took them on a life-changing journey. And a journey so profound, actually, we're talking about it 2,000 years later. I wonder if we'll still be talking about Neil Armstrong in a couple of thousand years. But we'll probably still be talking about Peter, Andrew, James and John and their first steps on their journey with Jesus. And we've been looking at uh, the first part of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to carry on doing that today, looking at those first steps. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Mark 1.14. If you haven't, it will appear up behind me and our dear friend Mark will flick through in the appropriately timed moments. Okay, let's read. So now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting in it into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So the very center of this, this story is Jesus saying, follow me. And kind of it all spins around those words from Jesus. Simply because Jesus was going somewhere. He was going to do something. He had a purpose to live out. He had a meaning to live out as well. And Jesus knew what that was. He knew what he was meant to do. He knew what he wanted to do, in fact, and he knew what he was going to go and do. He, he fully understood the journey that he was uh, going on. And he goes on that journey, goes on that mission, and as he does that, he calls some people to follow him. He says, follow me. And right from the beginning, Jesus, on his journey, on his mission, and his plan, at the very beginning of this uh, story that Mark has written for us, Mark is making very clear, okay, this is 
not a spectator sport. This isn't like a, a game of golf. So the US Open is on at the moment. I was watching a few of the highlights this morning because slightly interested in golf and mainly I was watching the highlights because one guy got his golf ball stuck in a golf buggy and that that amused me so that's my level of interest in golf but golf is that you it's a whole bunch of people following one person and that one person does all the stuff and everybody else kind of watches that's the opposite of what Christianity is you'll be pleased to know for those of you who don't like golf but we are called to take our place in the following in the following of Jesus And before we get to do that, before we get to think about us as followers and where we're going to go, we need to understand where is Jesus going? At this point in time, uh, where is he going? And we we kind of need to rewind a little bit to understand that, to understand the, the mission of Jesus, what he intended to do, that meaning, that purpose that he was going to live out. And sometimes uh, being the pastor of, uh, of a church, uh, I'm asked, what's the church's mission? What, what are you going to do? What's your next 10 years look like? It's the sort of question other pastors ask each other, kind of where, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And it's not a bad question. Churches should have some sense of objective. This is what we would like to do, things we would like to achieve together. And uh, in our last week, we've had our week of prayer, and we've been uh, praying every day, and then on Friday evening uh, for a few different things, um, and praying uh, to the ends of the earth. So we prayed for the streets that we live on, we prayed for our city, for planting into Denton, we prayed for the UK broadly, we prayed about planting into Europe, we prayed about unreached people groups, so we prayed about uh, our friends in Iraq who are doing great work out there and are looking to plant churches, and we prayed for our friends in Uganda as well, who do similar things. And uh, there's very clear kind of mission and objective there, isn't there? That we, we want God to do these things. That's our, our plan. That's what we want to see happen. But we need to step even further back than that. What is God's mission? What is his intention? When Jesus says, follow me, where does he think he's going? And we're going to work hard for a few minutes on this, so seatbelts on, but uh, we'll go at a pace. It'll be good. So let's go right to the beginning of Genesis, um, which may fill you with a sense of dread. Think, is he going to do the whole Old Testament? If we do, we'll get it into the full half hour, I promise you. Right, so right at the beginning of Genesis, God explains his mission. Okay? He makes it very clear. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay? So there is the mission of God in a snapshot there. So, firstly, he, he creates us to represent him, to reflect him. We are his images. That's how he creates us. You, you are the image of God. So it's worth thinking about that. Tomorrow morning, when, perhaps when your alarm goes off and perhaps there's been another thunderstorm tonight and you wake up and think, this feels horrible. Why am I awake and feeling like this? And then you have to go off to work and you kind of go through your day. You do the routine of your day. Perhaps right at the beginning of the day, it's worth just saying to yourself, I am the image of God. It's a good way to start the day because that is the truth of the situation. You are his image in the world. You are his representative. People are meant to look at you and see a hint of God. And so he he starts that. That's his mission. But he also calls us to be his people. We are his people in creation. 
We are all his images together in the world. And to start with, at this point in Genesis, all of the people in the world, which are really not very many of them, and at this point in creation, there's just two, all of them are his people. And that is what humans are made for. So at CCM, we talk about devotion, community, and mission, and we see all three of those in this passage. We see uh, the devotion of God to us in creating us, and our devotion to him. We are meant to be his images. Also, our devotion to each other. So it's amazing that Jesus, I mean, God created humans to be community. So he doesn't create one on their own. He creates a few of them so that they can be together. There is a devotion and a community there for each other. And then there is a mission as well. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Basically, you are God's image on earth. Look after and rule. That was his plan. That was his mission. And all of this is before sin, before rebellion, before evil came into the world. So then that's what happens. Sin and rebellion comes into the world. And at that moment, the image is broken. Okay, if you imagine us as a perfect mirror, mirror reflecting God's, actually that mirror gets a bit shattered and distorted by sin. And in that moment, actually, the relationship between us and God is broken. But also the relationships between each other is damaged as well. And also our, our sense of purpose, our sense of meaning, of mission, of ruling and having dominion and looking after is broken too. So when we think about uh, the sin and the, the, the horror of the world or climate change or all sorts of things that are going on in that world, that is our mission having been broken, been distorted. So what happens now? Is God suddenly on the back foot? I need a new plan. What's plan B? Actually, no, God's mission remains exactly the same. It doesn't change. He wants a people for himself. He wants us to be his image and he wants us to take our place in creation. In Deuteronomy 4, it says, To you it was shown, you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other beside him. That's a calling back to worship. Come and worship the one God. That's his mission, to pull us back to be his people, to worship one God. Not all of the other gods, not any other way of life, just the one living God. And then in Ezekiel, he says, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So when you are worshipping gods, when you are for him, uh, when you are on his team and his people, the image is being restored, then actually people look at that. That changes. The whole world looks at that. When God rescued Israel, when he brought them out of Egypt, he brought them out so they could be his people. He talks about you will come into the desert and you will worship me. You will be my people. You will represent me to all other peoples. And the same again when he brought them out of Babylon. It was so they could be his people, so they could worship him. As Israel are brought out of Babylon, one of the first things they do is begin to rebuild the temple. That is because they were meant to worship God, to be his image, to represent him. And then when Jesus arrives, that we find at the beginning of Mark, the situation is exactly the same. He wants a people for himself. Jesus is there to make that happen, to redeem his people, to repair that broken image, the, the shattered mirror, to repair the broken relationships between humans and gods, but also to repair the relationships between each other as well, to defeat sin and death, to restore us to the mission, the intention, God's plan, to bring us back in to that. 
Jesus says in Luke 24, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. A powerful thing to be restored and redeemed by Jesus, to be brought back into his mission. And what happens, the nations hear about it. And Jesus then has a few other things to say about his mission as well, about his plan, about what he was intending to do and how it was going to work as well. And Jesus had a clear idea in mind of how his mission was going to play out and the way that he was going to do it, a clear strategy. Matthew 28. Jesus says to them, look, all all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he points at them and says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, which we're going to do in a few weeks, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And then in Mark, so later on, at the end of this uh, this book of Mark that we're reading, uh, he says to them, go into the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In John, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He sees a bit of a theme here. And then in Acts 1, he says, look, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So when he's saying and talking about his mission, when he says, follow me, actually it becomes our mission as well. That's what he means by follow me. It's not blindly following and observing what Jesus does and making comments. Actually, we are becoming part of his mission. Christopher Wright, he wrote a book called The Mission of Gods, and he describes the mission like this. He says, fundamentally, our mission means our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and commands in God's mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. Follow me. Now, it sounds a bit intense, doesn't it? You might be thinking, Tim, it is a warm day. Okay, it is a warm day. I know all the things I've got to do this week. Uh, I know what's going on. How how do I do that? What, What on earth? How does this apply to me? How do I take part in God's mission? Well, Mark 1 actually gives us a big hint and a clue we see the mission of God here, and we see it in those very first steps. We see how Jesus calls his people and, and what, in fact, he calls them to do. He asks them to do something really very, very simple. And Jesus deliberately makes it simple, and he gives them the first steps. And you'll notice, as Mark explains the story, Jesus doesn't give a very detailed exposition of what the next three years are going to entail for them, because if he did, I suspect not very many of them would have followed him at that moment. He just gives them those first steps. And the first step is very simple. God's mission, as Jesus describes it, starts with repentance, starts with the repairing of the broken image. Again, verse 14, Mark 1, 14 says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. And he says this, the timing is fulfilled. In other words, I'm here now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm here now. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Um, repentance is a, a, a very, very powerful thing. Um, I think perhaps uh, we've come to misunderstand it a little bit. But the kingdom of God, God's mission is in front of them at that moment, and they are being called into his people. Okay, that in the same way that God's called the Israelites out of Egypt, took them out of Babylon to be his people, to restore them again, Jesus is doing the exact same thing. I'm calling you out to be my people. And repentance then, in, as Jesus describes it, is directing their lives at God's. It's changing the focus of their life. So the original word actually meant to change one's minds or, or to alter one's understanding. So your worldview is now to focus on me, to spin around me, follow me. And Jesus is actually calling them to make a, a very big decision to change how they think, to change how they understand the world. And often we can make repentance a little bit about the feelings that we have. So it may be we're trying to describe a feeling of guilt about a particular thing we may have done or a habit or a lifestyle and a sense of unworthiness and that we need to, if we repent, we'll stop feeling those things. Um, But actually a repentance is a change of worldview. It's a change about how we think, which then in turn makes us perhaps reorganise some things in our life, maybe uh, makes us confess some things that we shouldn't have done, makes us uh, worship Jesus in every part of our life. But it starts with the repentance, turning from how the world thinks to conforming to how Jesus thinks. And for the first disciples, those steps of repentance actually are, are quite clear. We, we see them, make them. We, we, we see what they actually do. So Jesus says that to Simon and Andrew. Simon eventually became Peter. Peter, one of the first leaders in the church, uh, ended up um, being in Rome. And if we were here a few weeks ago and you heard Stu preach, he would have explained that. So Mark is very possibly the rememberings of Peter, as he would have told them to Mark. And Mark scribbled them down, either just before or just after Peter died. And so... What were the first things they did? What was repentance for them? It says, uh, Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And the two immediately, it says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They left and they followed. They put down and then they picked up something else. And then Jesus bumps into James and John, uh, calls them in exactly the same way. And they do the same thing. It says they left their father. They left Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Follow Jesus. And this helps us, I think, to understand what repentance is. It's to put down a way of life and to pick up a new one. And actually, if you look at their way of life, they were working jobs, they were in the family business, they weren't doing anything wrong particularly there. Those are good things to do. Actually, Jesus is saying, look, follow me. That's what I want you to do. Again, we often make repentance about sin, about wrong things, to walk away from, and there is some truth there for sure. However, here we see disciples exchanging one way of life for another. Now, in the modern world, we might talk about putting down our dreams and uh, maybe picking up new ones. I'm not sure that 2,000 years ago in Israel, they would have thought in those terms. I don't think they had Disney, so I don't think that's how they would have approached the world. But they would have had expectations, right? So these guys are in their family business. Zebedee's lads were in the boat with him. They were probably actually pretty young. They were probably in their early 20s. And so they would have been thinking, actually, this is 
our lives. We're going to learn how to be good fishers and then Zebedee eventually will hand this business on to us and they've got some hired servants as well. So the business is going all right. We're, we're going to become part of this business and that would be a very good thing. Okay, that's not, nothing bad in that at all. But in that moment, their expectation for their life is shifted. They put that down. They're like, know what? I'm going to follow. They walk away from jobs. They walk away from family, actually. Now, Jesus is not anti-job. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know. Uh, Jesus knew that food costs money. So does rent. And you have to pay taxes. Jesus knew all of that stuff. He is not anti-job. And actually, some of the disciples would then go back to their fishing later. It talks about Peter after uh, Jesus has died and he's in crisis and turmoil. He goes back and starts fishing. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, we know that he made tents in order to kind of fund what he did for a mission. Uh, Jesus is not anti-job or anti-family. But he's calling them to put him above those things, that those things would be conformed to him, not the other way. One of our, uh, our big struggles as the Simmons family moving to Manchester um, meant that we got further away from our parents. Now, some of you think, sounds like a good thing, getting further away from your parents. If mum ever listens to the podcast, I never think that, mum. <laughs> and we did, and as they get older, Vic's parents as well, and mine too, it gets more difficult. Actually, there's, uh, there's loss there for us, and, and Vicky will often... Uh, quote when when it's you know the parents are having a hard time and life is difficult for them and we're like a four or five hour drive away there's not very much we can do Vic will say Jesus says that those who left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God's will receive many who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life for Jesus actually He's not anti-job, he's not anti-family, but we conform those to him. We put him first. That was repentance. The disciples were uh, living that out. They were putting down one way of life and picking up a new one. And God's mission as well starts with believing. So he says, repent and believe this. And when we do repent, we do because we are believing in something better. We're believing in this kingdom of God. We're believing in this gospel, this good news that Jesus was teaching. And these disciples would have, under, would have heard this, would have probably heard rumour of Jesus as well. And they were following, following him and believing him. That was their first steps. And when we repent and believe, we make that very first step. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you feel about that idea, but sometimes I feel like I make that first step quite a lot. And I have to come back to making that first step of repentance, really, like kind of daily, to put down and pick up. And there's a call here for his disciples, for us, as we live our lives, as we look to become followers of Jesus, as we hear him and think, I want to be obedient to that, I want to follow him, that actually there is a lifestyle of putting down and picking up, a lifestyle of I repent and I believe. Does that mean a life of guilt about sin? No, that's not what it means at all. What it means is actually, you know what? My life is going to conform to being obedient to Jesus, to following him. It's a life of directing ourselves at Jesus. Now, we are Westerners here, aren't we? And we tend to think of this in relatively 
individualistic terms. Kind of the, the modern West would, would think of this in individualistic terms, of putting down and picking up. And we'd even put it into kind of self-help sort of language. It'd be very common. Things that we need to repent of, to kind of change in order to become a better individual, a better person. And social media is full of this, of lifestyle hacks or fitness hacks or different diets you can do ultimately to become a better person. Perhaps mindfulness techniques of actually they will help us to process the world better and we'll be more on our path and our journey in a much better way. Or even uh, to manifest yourself something. That's, uh, I'm going to put down a way of thinking. I'm going to pick up a new way of thinking. And this way of thinking will result in good things happening to me. I'm going to manifest myself a pay rise or a holiday or, or a new job or a new relationship. I hear people talking about it. Like, I'm actually going to change the way I think. I'm going to put that down. I'll pick it up. I manifest myself this good thing. Now, actually, Jesus calls us to something very different calls us to direct ourselves at him, not at ourselves. So actually, we, in the West, we take the teaching of Jesus, and actually a lot of our modern philosophy is the teaching of Jesus. We just remove the Jesus bit from it. So we don't hear Jesus say, follow me. We hear him say, or we put in, follow your dreams, or, or follow your best life, or live your best life now, whatever it might be. Actually, Jesus says, follow me. And the impact of repentance actually is beyond our imagination. And we'll finish with this. Repentance, as it's described in Acts, as Peter, who he put down his life, didn't he? And then he picked up this new one and he followed and it was a dramatic change for him. He ended up with a whole different name at the end of it. Jesus kind of renamed him, repurposed him. He had this life of, of incredible mission of seeing the kingdom of God advance, of beginning churches all over Europe and Asia. Peter had quite the life. And in one of his sermons, he says, look, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, your life will change, and that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord's. You put down this life, you pick up a new one, and what does it do? It refreshes you. It's a freezing cold glass of water on a hot day brings genuine change to you, refreshes you, it restores, repairs the image. And back in the Old Testament, there was a prophet, Jeremiah, and he talked about repentance as well. And he was convinced that as the people of God repented, as they put down the old way of doing things, picked up the new life, that actually it would lead to the nations being saved. And Peter believed this as well. Peter saw it happen in front of him. But Jeremiah says, if you swear as the Lord lives... If basically, if you make your life about the living God, if you swear as the Lord lives and you live in truth, in justice, in righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves in him, in God, and in him they shall glory. When we repent, CCM, when you think of your life and think, okay, I'm going I'm to put down and I'm going to pick up following Jesus, actually the world looks at that. The nations look at that. That has impact. And you might not think it, you might not uh, feel it, you might not notice that. But actually, if you live a life of following Jesus and you try your best to do that in truth, in justice and righteousness, you are going to look quite different to the people around you, perhaps in your office, perhaps your place of work. If you truth, choose to be truthful all the time, if you choose to try and be fair and balanced and uh, bring justice to your little friendship group, then actually they're going to notice that's going to have impact 
If in your family you are the one that is kind and considerate, you are the one that actually follows Jesus and tries to live that out in every way, actually your family will notice that. You won't need to spend every Christmas telling them about Jesus and, uh, and telling them off for how they behave. Actually, just by who you are, what you have picked up will bring change. It will bring refreshing to them, will bring blessing to them. When we repent and believe, when we make our first step, actually, we can bring real change to the world around us. 